Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, y'all? This is Tim Einenkel. Welcome to the library. Make sure to follow me on Twitter. That's at Kosher22. At Kosher22. DJ Eddie F. is the co-founding partner and DJ for the legendary hip-hop group, Heavy D and the Boys. He's a producer, an arranger, a songwriter, pretty much a man of many hats. I got a chance to speak to him on the library earlier this week. One of the things you're known for is being one of the co-founders of Heavy D and the Boys. So yes. we, we, you know, we obviously unfortunately lost Heavy D this past year. Yes. Um, so if you can, just for the audience, uh, you know, can you just like, Talk about Heavy D and, you know, it's like, why was he so loved and why does he deserve to be remembered? Well, um, I mean, for one thing, first off, I mean, he was just a great, you know, person. Aside from, you know, aside from anything dealing with, you know, rap or being an entertainer, MC, and, you know, all the, you know, fun, fun things that he did. You know, he just was a great person. And he had a great, you know, personality, great relationships in the, in the, in the, and something that was even surprising to a lot of us, we all we all knew that, everybody that, you know, were, were friends, you know, and had close dealings with him. But uh, you have, would have no idea how many lives and how many people that he had extensive relationships with. Um, you know, I even think, you know, around the time when he passed, you know, we were talking with the family and his his. Even his own mother was like, who would know? How did he have time to, wow. to talk to all these people? So many people. And he had a individualized personal relationship with each person. You, you know, you would think like, you know, it's like almost like having a thousand people and all of the thousand people, they each think that they're your best friend, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and he was able to, you know, have the time to really, you know, talk to people and be there for people and be a great friend. Um, and, I, you know, so many stories. One story um, in particular that I, that I would like to share is that um, 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 Lily from um, SWV, you know, some time ago, you know, one of her family members had passed. Mm. And... Um, you know, and I didn't notice until after heavy, heavy pass. She, you know, we were talking and she said, you know, she didn't even really, you know, she, she knew heavy and passing. She didn't really know him like that. And, you know, he sent her, you know, flowers and reached out to her and called her and was like, are you okay? And, you know, and she just was like, you know, wow, that was like really just, you know, special to her that he went out of his way 
And I never knew that, and a lot of us never knew, because he never, you know, he never talked about, like, you know, things that he did for people. Right. Um, so that was just the type of guy that he was. You know, he just reached out, made sure she was okay, you know, sent her flowers and established a relationship with her and just wanted to make sure that she was cool and, and you know, encouraged her to, um, you know, go forward. And I know Latifah had, a, you know, a similar a similar um, situation, you know, a similar um, story, same thing happened with her. Um but you know he was just a great all-around person. Obviously, um, great performer, yeah. very light on his feet. He danced like a skinny guy, even though he was yeah. a big guy. Um, and always wanted to be the best, mm. you know. Um, and you know, it's I'd say part part him, part Mount Vernon. All of us, I guess, that are from Mount Vernon, we have like a competitive spirit um, and um, long you know, legacy of, like, you know, great, you know, entertainers, starting with Dick Clark, Denzel Washington, um, multiple state basketball championships. We're like a competitive town. You know, I think it started high There's one high school in Mount Vernon, and, you know, our high school basketball team um, is the state champion several times. I would say, you know, 70 to 80% of the time we're like the state champion in basketball, high school basketball. So I think it starts there. We have like a, um, a spirit of competitiveness and excellence. Um, a lot of entertainers, um, you know, Albie Shaw, Diddy, um, Pete Rockenfell, Smooth. Um, I think I already said Denzel, Stephanie Mills, just a lot of um, entertainers. David Chase, who writer for The Sopranos. Oh, wow. Um, Michael Imperioli, one of the you know actors from The Sopranos. There's a lot of people out of this small four square mile town. Um, you know, sports and entertainers and and um, um, people like that. Um, and I want to not just Heavy D, but also yourself. I, you you know you're you know as I mentioned, you you guys were Heavy D and the boys. Um, were you guys satisfied? Where I guess looking where Heavy D and the Boys landed in hip-hop history? Um, um, that's an odd question. <laughs> and um, I do odd questions. <laughs> no, I mean, not in a bad way. <laughs> I put it like this. I'll say, like, I'll say it's, it's, it's yes and no. And um, yes, because I think we know what we did and what we stood for. Um, no, because sometimes history doesn't accurately, accurately report. <laughs> you know, we mm. were kind of straddled in the line between hip-hop and R&B. Right. And so we get lost in, you know, we're not really, we're not really, you know, hip-hop hip, hip like, you know, like Eric B. and Rakim, like Tribe Called Quest, like, you know, and then we're not R&B like, like Guy or like Jodeci. So we're like, we were like right in the middle. And then I myself even, you know, a lot of people, um, the first two groups that I ever put put out, they went in two totally different directions. One was Pete Rock and CL Smooth, who was my first group, and they was hip-hop, hip-hop as you could get. Right. Um, and then next group I put out was Intro with Kenny Green, who, you know, wrote the whole Mary Day Blige album and, wrote all these great records for people and had, you know, they had a great album. They were totally R&B, R&B. And I think that was kind of representative of where the group sat. We went in both directions, depending, you know, what it was. So we got caught in this, this 
category where you couldn't really label us. We weren't hip hop and we weren't R and B. We were kinda like um doing both from a new jack swing side and an old school hip hop side. Um so to answer your question again, um I think we did a lot of important things, but I think when you look at history because we couldn't be put in a certain category, um, sometimes it gets overlooked. Mm. Unless you go back and actually look at, you know, like Heavy D, um, you know, first rapper to, um, you know, did a record with Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson. You know, back in the day when rappers weren't doing records with, you know, big major superstars like that. Um, believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy, but you can go check, <laughs> you can go check history. Like, my company, I'm the first person, this sound, it's going to sound crazy, but I'm the first person that ever put a rapper on a remix. Really? I know it sounds crazy, but if you go back and you look, it was, um, it was, um, Rub You The Right Way remix, Johnny Gill. Wow. Pete with CL Smooth. This was 1991. It wasn't the first record with a rapper on it, but it was the first time a record was released, remixed, and a rapper put on the record. And that back then, you know, it was different than it, than it is now. now. Now you put rappers on the record to co-sign your artists or to get big show plays or whatever it is. Back then, I was doing it strictly to market. I was trying to market my artists because I was, they asked me to do the remix. Donnie Gill had, you know, he had just finished with New Edition. They had sold two million records. They had millions of fans. And I said, hey, <laughs> if I put my rapper that I'm about to release on this remix, and I told him... In your rap, mention your name, mention Johnny Gill's name, you know, so that it'll be relevant. So there's a reason for you to be on here in the first place. Big up Johnny, and uh, you know, and that was a way for me to introduce him to all the fans that were already fans of New Editions and fans of Johnny Gill. And that was even at a time where, believe it or not, they didn't play, um, they didn't play rap on all black radio stations. So you had to make a non-rap version. Forget a clean and dirty version. You had to make a non-rap version and a rap version because some some urban stations didn't play rap. Um, so, was there a little trivia? Was 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 there? There's that. There's some. There's an argument from some like I, I guess you know like from some old from some hip hop heads that a an MC should never be on an R and B album. Uh, I've heard this from people. Uh, I've heard this. Was there ever backlash? Were you ever worried about the backlash when you were putting this thing, when you were putting this together? Or, you know, you obviously no. had a plan. And... Never. Um, and, I mean, I was never worried. I mean, we came at such a special time, and I'm really um, proud of it. Um, some of it you make, you know, sound dated. You know, we came into the game when sampling was coming out, when automation on mixing boards was coming out. Like, we were, in the, we were coming on the cutting edge of a revolution of music. Um, you know, this is when samplers, they didn't save. Like, you, you know, you turned off the power and you lost the sample. So if you're doing a mix, you had to leave the sample on. There was no save to disk drive. You know, came out with Molly Marl, Teddy Riley, um, and the people... And, and by the way, those were both of my, like, you know, big brothers or uncles that taught me when I came in the game, you know, was Teddy and Marley Marl. So I had the best of the best. So mm. I never felt nervous about anything we did because I was like, you know, 
My big brother is the leader of, you know, new, young hip-hop R&B. And my other big brother is the biggest producer, you know, Marley Marl in hip-hop. With right, the right. Crew. He was in. So anything that we did, I felt like it was so official, official, official that I didn't, I never thought, you know, are we going to get criticized for this? Because I felt like, you know, it's like, you know, hey, you know, I'm on a championship team with, like, you know, legendary star players so i we just did whatever we thought was going to be hot music and i want to kind of transition a little bit but you know you've obviously you, you've, you've worn a lot of hats in this business um your a and r producer dj when you when you when you find an artist like you know like, I, I mean something like um, like a donnell jones what do you what do you look for in an artist um um you asked like really Great questions, by the way. <laughs> um, That's going on uh, my resume. <laughs> Thanks. What, what do I look for in an artist? Uh, the first thing is I have to really understand who the artist is. Um, and I talk to artists about this a lot. When I'm first working with them, I say, you know, I really, before I can talk to you about music, I have to really know who you are. I have to know their background. Um, first off is the talent. Oh, can you sing? Can you rap? Okay, you sound like you have a good flow, a good, you know, whatever it is, a good flow, a good voice, great melody. But then aside from that, the next thing right after that, after the what do you sound like, what do you look like, the next thing is who are you? Mm. And what's your background? Do you come, you know, are you from, like, inner city? You know, were you in a gang? Were you, you know downward people that used to, you know, you know, fight every day, or are you from, you know, a real, you know, white bread suburban area where everything is just like, you know, like, like, you know, Disney, Nickelodeon, like, who are you? Because that to me is, what are you going to say in your music? And what's going to be believable? And what are people going to take from you and feel an impact. So I have to understand who the artist is. Um, and then that translates into what type of records they should be making, what type of hooks. Um, and, uh, and since you use Donnell Jones, I'll use it as an example. Um, he's, he, I always described him as he was like a young version of Babyface as far as a singer, songwriter, producer. Yeah. But... He was from, you know, he's from Chicago. He, he, you know, he's been in a, a, a gang or a couple of gangs before. So when I talk to people about Donald Jones, I say he's that guy, like he's the laid back, quiet guy. He might not be the rowdy guy that's like starting the fight, but if his crew was fighting, he's going to be in a fight. He might get a fist in, he might get a foot in. Like he was still cool and still knew the street so when he was talking and when he was singing if he said little slick things in his lyrics or little things that sounded uh hoodish terminology mm. it was because that's where he's really from and that's what he really knows it was so and i'm saying that to say um a lot of artists i look at now use like mary j blige for example you can't take an artist and just give them Mary J. Blige's songs and make them Mary J. Blige. You have to live it. You right, have to, yeah. what she's saying and the type of record that she made comes from a lifestyle and an attitude and a history 
uh, and how she grew up. It's not just the song. So you can't take, like, um, you know, say another artist that's never, you know, that's not from not from the inner city, not from the projects, and just put, like, songs that sound cool on them and just give it to the public and it just go over, like, oh, yeah, that's my homegirl. No, it doesn't work like that. Um, and people can detect when stuff is not real or when you're faking. So um, that's what I look for in artists. You have to, and I, and I kind of learned that from being at Uptown. Everybody was a representation of who they really were, Um and that's what came across in their in their attitude, in their style, um, and sometimes in their lyrics. But use Mary for example again. A lot of people always looked at Mary as like you know street down chick, you know hood representing the hood. But if you look at her songs, her early songs, she had songs. Her songs were like real love, yeah. reminiscing of love we had, love no limit. These were not. These were not like quote unquote hood songs. The hood was in the it was in the attitude. It was in the style. It was in the fashion sense. It was in the video. It was in a little sick line, you know, somebody to put me on. Saying put me on was like, Oh, okay, that's relatable to yo, she said put me on in her in yeah. her in her but but the whole song wasn't like all slang, the whole lyric. It was just a great song. Um so I, I, I don't know if I went too much into it, but that's what I look for in artists, like who they are, so you know what to deliver and how to present them to the public because people, at the end of the day, they want a reflection of an artist that's real, and they can tell if it's not. Depending on the genre of music that, or the, the I guess the, the genre, you, you know, like you've worked with, I mean, AZ, um, like you said, Mary J, uh, Father MC, Don, Donnell Jones, and even... Uh, uh, Darius Rucker from Hootie and the Blowfish. Uh, yeah. Different, a lot, you know, obviously not all the same uh, genre of music. So is, so each approach, I mean, I imagine each approach is different or is there a lot of similarities in between each, you know, with each approach for each artist? Same strategy, different, you know, because they're different things. Like when we work with Darius Rucker, he wrote a song about, a relationship. It was called 10 Years I'm Sorry, and that was a personal situation where he was reflecting on something that had happened in his life. Mm. Um, so it was an expression of him. You know, at the end of the day, you can do whatever with the music. You can make it sound dark. You can make it sound happy. It can be up-tempo. It can be ballad, mid-tempo, disco, hip-hop. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, what is the lyric saying, and, what's, and what is the what's the hook and what is the song about and what is the artist um you know for example you're not going to have Darius Rucker trying to make a song sounding like Chew Tip <laughs> that's not him you know what I mean and I know that's like extreme left turn but you know I purposely said that to say like how ridiculous will he sound trying to you know rap like Tribe Called Quest and that's and that's the you have to get into who the artist is. So it's the same approach that I just described to you a minute ago. But it turns out different for each artist because it depends, um, you know, who who that artist is and what and what they have to express. I want, I want to kind of continue talking about the different hats you've worn and kind of bring it into, you know, 
the looking at the A and R, but in kind of today's era with the amount of uh, kind of reality shows we have with American Idol and The Voice, uh, yep. how, how has the A and R job? I mean, how how difficult now is the A and R job? With you know, it seems like you have, and this is a total outside perspective, so I could actually you know be wrong, but it seems like you have just kind of this like cookie cutter formula. You you know, you you have thousands or millions of people try to get on American Idol, The Voice. They, you know, their three people are picking out who's the voice of America, and it seems like everyone else that used to work in the record uh, industry is irrelevant right now. Um, what happens is you have a media revolution, you have a media and technology revolution, and that's and it's affecting the music business just like it's affecting everything else, just like it's affecting you know phones and news and you know technology and navigation and how you get information, you know. I was just talking to somebody yesterday. You used to have to go to the library if you wanted to do a report. Now you just go on Google and say, what is, you know, yeah, you yeah. know, what is heart surgery? Comes up with all these all this information, you know. So what you have with programs like, you know, The Voice and American Idol, you have it's it's the new way that we um consume media. Um, and part of the challenge is these days is that there's so much to choose from because the, um, the barrier to entry is not what it used to be. It used to be that you had to go to a professional, you know, record company or producer and you had to audition. And then if they, if they believed that you had talent, they would put you in a studio the studio costed, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars a day minimum. So nobody was going to put you in the studio unless they thought that you had something. Right. Um, nowadays, for two thousand dollars, you can buy your own whole setup. You can have a computer, laptop, whatever, or you can get a hand-me-down computer from, you know. Your mom, dad, aunt, uncle, older brother, sisters, old computer that they don't need anymore. They give it to you. You go online, download whatever program or choice that's free. You can record vocals and, you know, mm. you can be a quote-unquote producer or an artist. or And you can actually record your song. You can send it to people. You can email it to people. You can make an MP3. Now, whether it be a great song or whether it sounds horrible. Like, you know, the equivalent of you could either have a great song or you could be the equivalent of I'm singing in the shower and I'm sending it to my hundred friends and, you know, what do they think? Right. And that's part of the challenge that you have now. It's not that it's not that there aren't a lot of great people out here. It's just that there's so much junk out here, too, mm. that wasn't there before. And, you know, before you had a couple of hundred people to choose from. Now you have literally have thousands and tens of thousands of artists. They're just everywhere. You know, you're getting emails every day of artists, new artists, this, that, the other. Um, and it's like the gold rush. Everybody's figured, you know, I can get in the you know, music business, I can get a big break. It's like playing the lotto. Everybody okay. just buys a ticket. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's where we are. Um, and that's where kind of where the A and R process is, and then at the same time, it's it's been sensationalized with right. TV. You know, people want to see they 
they want to see rags to riches stories. It makes for good TV. They want to see somebody that trying to make it that's on TV gets voted in, you know, and yeah. sounds good. And everybody says, yeah, they, you know, what did you think about, you know, X person that was on one of those shows? Um, and it's also a way for the companies to do, to kind of do market research ahead of time and say, hey, well, you know, if we had, we had millions of viewers and most of the people said they liked this person, the chances are if we put out some music on them, then a couple of hundred thousand people will probably buy it. And, and that's what happens. It's like free publicity, and then also they could get similar yep. artists and stuff like that. Uh, yep. do, do you think, I mean, with like you said, with all the ever-changing technology and, you know, obviously, you know, you go online and it seems like everyone's an MC. Um, do you think hip-hop's at a good place right now? or I mean, or do you think it's missing something? Um, I think it's at a crossroads. Mm. And I and this is what I say to people that I know. Like, a lot of people comp- complain about the music business. Oh, music is horrible. It's not like how it was. And I, there's two, two, two approaches to that. One, you know, when we came out, 80s, rapping, scratching, turntables, I know guys that were in, like, you know, that had that played instruments, horns, strings, guitar, that, you know, were in bands that had been in, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire, Chic, like when you had to actually play a bunch of instruments, Quincy Jones, all these people. I know when we came with turntables and mixer and we're like, you know, hip-hop, they were like, what is that? These guys, they wearing street clothes, sneakers, and no laces, and they're yelling on the mic, and what is it? And the beat playing over and over and over the same thing you know as you go through generations of music the last generation always complains oh when we were you know we used to have to dress up we wore tuxedos we wore bow ties we found quality music so when i hear that one of the great things about having roots as a dj is that i'm never biased to the music i love all the music it, it, a great song is a great song doesn't matter you know i can listen to uh uh, a new artist with a single coming out of Atlanta, if they have a great song and it has the right energy and it has the right delivery, it's a great song. I don't say, oh, that's not music. Because that's just like the guys that, you know, were generations before us. And guys that were before them, you know, before bands, they had conductors and orchestra, and they probably said, what is this with, you know, horns and guys playing, you know, singing and you know, it's not music, it's not, you know, it's not formal orchestra. You know, it's been going through time. Mm. So that's one perspective. The other perspective is that while people complain there's no money in the music business, it's not the same it used to be, also, it's cheaper. You know, it used to cost, like I said, a thousand, two thousand dollars to go in the studio. So it would cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars to do an album. Now they have Pro Tools. You could actually buy a computer. You could have a soundproof room in your house or at some location, and you could really record a quality album. And you could do it for, like, you know, recording without paying fees or producers and all that stuff. You can do it, like, under 10000 under $5,000. You can record something... Good quality. You couldn't do that before because technology didn't allow you to. I know from experience, when we came in the game, they had four tracks, they had eight tracks, they had reel-to-reel, they didn't have the digital recording. 
you couldn't get quality, clean recording. You had to go to the studio to get that sound. Now you can do that on, you know, you can go buy a $1,500 computer and put Pro Tools on it, and you could actually record CD-quality digital music. So there's a trade-off is what I'm getting at. Yeah, it's yeah. like if you know what you're doing and you – you, if you want to be lazy, you'll make something that sounds like you were lazy. If you want to really put your energy into it and make sure you record some quality, you can do it cheaply. And if you get something that's good, even a single, you can make a lot of money even with a single. Yeah. You know, a hit single will make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, but again, more competition, more traffic. It's harder to break through. You're not just going to make a song and throw it out there and people are going to say, oh, great, you made a song just for us and we're going to buy a million copies. It doesn't go like that anymore. So there's a trade-off. So um, just to round up that, that whole thought, we're at a transition, and it's not just with music. We're, we're going from the what I call the industrial age to the technological age, you know, and this is happening all around us. It's not just in music. A lot of people talk about, um, they talk about, like, we're, obviously, we're in a recession, things are tight. Like, but look at these technology companies. They're not talking about as tight. Like, Google's, like, record profits. Like, Apple's record profits. Like, Microsoft, billions of dollars. Like, technology companies are making millions and billions of dollars because what's happening is that we're going... We're going out of the offices and the factories and we're going to the, you know, online to the computers and the technology companies and the tech. And the same thing is happening with music. We're going away from the albums and the brick and mortar stores and the, you know, the tower records. And we're going, we're, we're going to online. So that whole business model of the album and people going to physically buy a CD is changing. And that's what's uncomfortable. People are trying to figure out well, what's the new model and, Nobody really knows yet. We're, we're defining it right now. It's happening as we're going. So until we say this is the proven way to sell music every time, if we do this and we have something quality, it will always sell. We don't have that model like we had 10, 20 years ago before all this technology came in. And that's what's uncomfortable, this transition. People are trying to figure out what's the new model. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are getting displaced. A lot of people that had jobs in the and careers in the old, you know, brick and mortar business are like trying to figure it out. And that's where we are. So, so on that note, how, how do you how, how do you, how do you continue to you know obviously stay relevant in in this game? Um. Well, I I've always been like a behind the scenes uh, straddle the fence, like a. Just a little bit, a little bit of fame, but not famous. Just enough to be like, you know, somewhere in there. And I've always kind of played the behind the scenes. Just so happens that um, I was always into computers. I was always into technology. My major in, um, you know, in college, I was only a freshman because we made a record. Um, my last day of college was the day before we shot our first video, but I was – computer science, computer engineering major. So I was always in tech, always in computers. It just so happens that computers and technology came into the music business <laughs> with all this, like, you know, computer programs and sequencing programs. So for me, I just picked back up my computer stuff and started doing that. You know, I went and um, 
you know, took my technology classes, got reacquainted with everything, became like Apple certified. I'm an Apple developer. I do stuff with, and I was, you know, one of the people that supported Apple when, when it was like looking like it was about to go bankrupt, like back in the late nineties. So for everything to come full circle, I'm like still doing the tech stuff. I'm an iTunes aggregator. I have like a, um, a, a digital um, distribution company w- with iTunes. I was a partner with the, with the iTunes store from when it first launched. Um, so I do that stuff still in the background. Mm. Um, and I'm one of the people that's kind of like riding the line between technology and, and music and saying, okay, where is this synergy going to happen and what's going to be the new model? Um, and then I still do, you know, projects from here. I have here and there. I have artists that I'm working with. I've, um, Still doing work with 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 Andre Harrell, and he has a bunch of new artists that he's working with from with his new label, The Atlantic. I still have all my relationships right. with everybody. Um, so so you, I'm kind of like. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'm still doing. I'm still kind of like doing my behind the scenes thing. You know, I'm doing like websites and and apps, and and I'm doing music for. Um, been working with a bunch of different networks with BT and with um centric and doing some commercials and things like that and developing artists but um then again same situation like i have you know i talk still talk with like you know all my contacts la reads people like that but the thing is is i know after you know being his vice president and r i can't bring him like a demo of some guy that you know I met in the street that has like a half baked demo. I got to, it has to be right, ready to go as if I was still working in that system because I know what you're supposed to bring the chairman of a system. So I look for those things. I've identified a couple of things that are promising that are not, they're not ready yet. I'm working with some people now and working with some things. Um, and I consult. Different pro- I was, you know, I was actually consulting with Island Def Jam with with LA Reed a few years back, um, and helped him with his whole resurgence back into Atlanta a few years ago when he started, you know, coming in and, and working with a lot of artists here. Um, I relocated to Atlanta because I saw that everything was shifting and it wasn't location specific anymore. A lot of a lot of things were happening, moving, shaking, and Atlanta's a hub now for, you know, for Miami, for New York, for right. LA. Um, you know, the BET Hip Hop Awards is here, Soul Train Awards happens here, a lot of things, you know, Tyler Perry's here, um, Turner Networks is here, yeah. and um, what a lot of people don't know is a lot of film companies are building studios here because of the success of Tyler Perry, a lot of film, you know, major film houses, um, Paramount, Warner, MGM, Screen Gems, they're all building studios in Atlanta. So what, do you think you're going to get into film and stuff? Uh, I've, yes, and I've done some work with, um, television, uh, theme songs and commercials, and I've done some film work, um, and scoring people I work with have done some projects, so I'm definitely looking to do that. I'm actually doing some of it now, um, and it's, it's going to be a market that's growing in Atlanta. I have a I promise one more question. Um, 
as a as a as a DJ as a producer, uh, uh, and you know, t- obviously take your time answering this. Um, are there five albums that you wish you were a part of? Um, Michael Jackson, Off the Wall. Um, let me see what albums. I gotta think about this for a second. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Guy's first album. Um, you know, I was a part of the movement, but I didn't actually have a song on the album. <laughs> um, let me see. Five albums. Let me think. Uh, one of those Run DMC albums, and I can't think of which one. I don't know if it was Raising Hell. I think it was Raising Hell. Raising Hell, yeah. That, one of those albums. Either that one or the one before it. Um, any of the Motown stuff, the old Motown stuff. Oh, yeah, I mean, when I, yeah. I was... When I was head of A and R at Motown, I can't pick an actual album, but the box set. If you listen to the whole box set, the one I think is from '59 to '71, and there was another one from '71 to '90 something. I mean, there's such incredible music. It's it's hard to believe that one company made all that music. Yeah, yeah. and I remember being at a um. I remember being at some. Uh, some convention, music convention, and I remember Gerald Buzzy being on stage and giving stats on how many, you know, at the time Motown was one of the three most recognizable brands in the world. I think it was Disney, Playboy, and Motown were the three biggest brands in the world. Um, and he went through the stats of how many number one records and how many singles and how many top ten records, and it was, like, amazing. It was like, you know... You have companies now, the whole system, the whole, you know, you name it, whatever. Universal, Warner, what, the whole system can't put out these types, these number one records that this one company had. It was crazy. Um, so I would have loved to be a part of that. You know, I, and I was later on, and I was proud to be there, and it's just part of the history. But I could just imagine all those records coming through there, um, what it felt like to be... Um, at that company to be, you know, to be Barry Gordy and a hit record comes in. Cause I know what I felt like just being at Uptown when a hit record comes in. So I could imagine that times 10 with all these hit records flying all over the place. So I would have loved to be a part of that. And that's not an album, but just that. Company I'll, I'll, yeah, that I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty incredible. I mean, the Detroit, yeah. Detroit scene is pretty unbelievable itself, you know, with all the yeah, it's t- crazy. Um, number five. Hmm. I don't even know if I have a number five. Ah, man. I would. You know. I would say Motown box said that covers two. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know what? I love um. Just everything that um. The whole. The whole. N.W.A. Dre. The whole movement that came out of that, mm, you know, okay. I love that whole, you know, from Ice Cube, Drake. To me, they're like they're like new edition of of hip hop, West Coast, you know, whatever raw street style. But they were like they had so much talent that just came out of there from Drake and Snoop and Ice Cube and 
and DOC and every just all the music and everything and it was like that movement is just so crazy. It's so much fantastic, great music that came out of there, like and and artists. Um, you know, and I was watching something the other day. They were talking about Snoop, and they were saying like how, you know, if you look at Snoop just as a career as an artist, like. He came from this real, like, you know, deep cover, you know, 187 to being, like, you know, mainstream America, like, everybody's, like, favorite uncle. Like, Snoop could come in, a, you know, a place full of, like, middle-aged, older white people, whatever. I going to be like, Snoop, Snoop, like, he's, like, part of the family. And it's, like, it's just cool. I think that that's just cool that that could happen in, um, in hip-hop. Yeah. And, um... And then just to expand on that, you know, look at Will Smith. I mean, coming from rapper Fresh Prince of Bel Air to being like mega major superstar, like you know, leading Hollywood guy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. I was DJ Eddie F, co-founding partner and DJ of the legendary group Heavy D and the Boys. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Kosher22, and download my podcast on iTunes by going to iTunes and looking for The Library with Tim Einenkel. That's E-I-N-E-N-K-E-L. Peace. Take my hand. Walk with me. I'm the Imperial. Overweight lover MC Heavy D. Now that I've introduced myself correctly. Do you have a moment to spend some time with me? Would you like a drink? Maybe a pina colada. A strawberry daiquiri. Some wine from Havana. It really doesn't matter. The choice is yours. And when you do what you drink, we'll take a walk outdoors. Gaze at the stars. Walk down the boardwalk. Sit by the beach and talk. Lovers talk. Make a quick call on my cellular phone. Some people in the scene to pick us up and take us home. Ah, an enjoyable night. The mood was smooth and everything was all right. It may be hard for you, but it's easy for me. Cause girls, the girls, the girls, they the love girls, me. The girls, they love me. Cause he's the overweight of a heavy team. Girls, the girls, they love me. Cause he's the overweight of a heavy team. Girls, the girls, they love me. Cause he's the overweight of a heavy team. Girls, the girls, they love me. Went to a disco. Word. Pete Rock and Seal Smooth was on stage drinking Cisco. Damien had his girl Michelle. Of course. Greg Boogie had a girl that I never seen before. Hey. ADM was home making a beat. <laughs> Nick T was at the crib on 120 Street. Tootie had a cutie that was dope. Hey. Ruby Boom, Quan, and Little Dallas was hey. Rap had the dance floor pal. Was in the corner looking at me. Tommy George, Jeff and Butter was on the spot. Buying champagne for the crew, $100 a pop. Me, I was casing the joint. Clocking all the people as they stared and point. It feels really good to be heavy D. Because the girls, the girls, they love me. Girls and girls, they love me. Girls, girls, they love me. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.